Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96, Comcast Xfinity, and Channel 30, Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. And now on to the talking news. Safety Concerns Aired by Joanna K. Zuvalis. The Traffic Advisory Committee listened intently to comments from more than 30 residents at their September 13 meeting who are concerned about the safety of pedestrians and the aftermath of a crash at the intersection of Lexington and Sycamore Streets, which took the life of a 39-year-old Belmont mother. After hearing three hours of comments, which included at least 14 concerns from residents about the safety of several intersections, including Lexington and Sycamore Streets, TAC voted on two recommendations which went before the Board of Selectmen for their approval on September 17th. The first recommendation suggested by Belmont Police Sergeant Ben Mallott is for an immediate short-term solution to add a 20-mile-per-hour speed feedback sign, similar to the one recently installed on School Street near the Burbank Elementary School on Lexington Street near Chandler Street. The second recommendation is for a long-term solution to hire a consultant to gather data to determine if the, uh, if the intersection of Lexington and Sycamore Streets warrants full signals. Director of, Community, uh, Director of Community Development, Glenn Clancy, said he would also ask the consultant for suggestions for immediate solutions. On September 17, the selectmen approved the recommendation for Clancy to engage a consulting agent to determine if the intersection of Lexington and Sycamore Streets warrants a full traffic light. Clancy said the process to install the light, if it is warranted, would take approximately one year, and he estimated it would cost north of $175,000. He will also need to determine how the new light will be funded. The 20-mile-per-hour speed feedback sign recommended by Mylot will also be in, in, implemented. Clancy said he is taking action on one of the suggestions that a resident made on September 13, Traffic Advisory Committee meeting. He will be installing orange signs underneath the stop signs at the intersection of Lexington and Sycamore, which say, cross traffic does not stop, to warn drivers that Lexington Street traffic does not have a stop signs similar to the intersection in Watertown. Selectman Vice Chairman Mark Paolilio asked Clancy if the state law stop for pedestrians within crosswalk signs could be placed at more crosswalks in Belmont and asked Assistant Belmont Police Chief James McIsaac if he thinks they would make a difference or get damaged by drivers. McIsaac said that the new signs have rubber bases and last longer. Clancy said he does not know 
where funding for the signs will come from. They cost $400 each. Paolilio suggested putting an article on the special town meeting warrant in November for $10,000 to fund these signs. Realtor Ann Mahone said she plans to donate signs and has secured funding from other donors for signs. Selectman Adam Dash said perhaps they could put out a call to residents to adopt a crosswalk. Clancy said Public Works has agreed to be responsible for the signs if they are purchased and would remove them during snow events. And now on to my colleague, Claire. Thank you, Bob. Local police fire chief played roles in the response to Merrimack blasts by Joanna K. Zavellis. A series of gas explosions, an official described as Armageddon, killed a teenager, injured at least 10 other people, and ignited fires in at least 39 homes in three communities north of Boston, forcing entire neighborhoods to evacuate as crews scrambled to fight the flames and shut off the gas. Authorities said Lionel Rondon, 18, of Lawrence, died Thursday after a chimney toppled by an exploding house crashed into his car. He was rushed to a Boston hospital but pronounced dead there in the evening. Belmont Fire Chief David Frizzell is chairman of the Statewide Fire Mobilization Committee. The committee is responsible for drafting a comprehensive mutual aid plan that covers the entire Commonwealth and played a role in an organizing 14 structural task forces to assist Lawrence, Andover, and North Andover in the aftermath of the explosions. Belmont Police Chief Richard McLaughlin, acting president of the Northeastern Massachusetts Law Enforcement Council, NEMLEC, also responded. Epic response. Frizzell said he just ended his shift on September 13 and was off duty when he got the call. He worked until 1.30 a.m. on September 14, then again from 7 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. that same day. On September 15, Belmont's turn came up for a task force deployment. Assistant Chief Wayne Haley with Lieutenant Jerry Benoit, firefighters William Kaufman and Dennis Ma reported to Lawrence at 7 p.m. They worked a 12-hour shift responding to minor calls and spent the majority of their time going from house to house, shutting off gas meters and making sure things were safe. Frizzell said the statewide task force moved over 200 pieces of equipment and over 1,000 firefighters into the Merrimack Valley area between Thursday and Monday morning. We have never moved this much apparatus and personnel across the state or from southern New Hampshire into Massachusetts that I can recall. This was epic, he said. McLaughlin said as soon as he received the pages about the incident on September 13, NEMLEC immediately started mobilizing its resources. A big part of what I do is support whoever is on the ground and get them the resources they need. He said, this was a multi-day event requiring multiple responses over four days. He said NEMLEC's motorcycle unit and regional response team of more than 200 officers assisted in the aftermath of the explosions. Belmont Police Officers Corey Taylor, 
Alex Chung, Anthony DiStefano, and Billy Watkins helped patrol the Lawrence area and assisted the gas company going door-to-door on September 13 and 14. NEMLEC demobilized its resources on September 16. Still searching for clues. The Massachusetts Emergency Management Agency blamed the fires on gas lines that had become overpressurized, but said investigators were still examining what happened. Columbia had announced earlier Thursday that it would be upgrading gas lines in neighborhoods across the state, including the area where the explosions happened. It was not clear where the work was happening there Thursday, and a spokeswoman did not return calls. Now over to Max. Thanks, Claire. Salvation for Santa Maria. After threat of closure due to financial strains, 70-year-old nursing facility to remain open by Diane McLaughlin. One month after announcing plans to close in December, Santa Maria Nursing Facility in Cambridge has reversed course and decided to bring in new management, allowing the 70-year-old institution to remain open. A month ago, certainly during 2018, I didn't possibly imagine that we would be talking on September 17th about staying open, and I'm very excited now with that prospect, said Joseph Barrell, chairman of Santa Maria's Board of Directors. The financially troubled Santa Maria announced on September 17th that it would begin operating under Advocate Healthcare Management, a Haverhill-based organization that owns and manages the Don Orione Home in East Boston. The decision will allow most employees and residents to remain at Santa Maria, mm. keeping alive the facility's long-time and respected presence in the Cambridge community. Owned by the Catholic Religious Order, the Daughters of Mary of the Immaculate Conception, Santa Maria began to reconsider the decision to close, Barrel said, shortly after the initial announcement. He said Santa Maria received, quote, a tremendous outpouring of support and condolences and sorrow from the facility's residents, their families, the Cambridge communities, and employees, both past and present. The outpouring really caused us to start to rethink what we were going through, but we really considered our hands as being tied, Barrel said. We were at the bottom of the mountain looking up, and we couldn't see the top of the mountain at all. Santa Maria first opened in 1948 as a non-profit hospital at 350 Memorial Drive. A short distance from Fenway Park, many Red Sox players retreated there, earning Santa Maria the nickname the Red Sox Hospital. The hospital moved to its current location at 799 Concord Ave in 1968 and converted to a nursing facility in 1989, caring for long-term residents, including dementia patients, and providing short-term rehabilitation services hospice, and and palliative cares. Citing financial difficulties, Santa Maria announced on August 17th that it planned to cease operations in December. Santa Maria then received proposals from three companies that wanted to keep the facility open. The Daughters of Mary and the Board of Directors selected Advocate for its approach to high-quality care and management, he said. The Daughters of Mary will continue to own the facility, and the other tenants in the building will remain as well. In a joint statement released by Santa Maria and Advocate, Mother Mother Mary Jennifer Carroll, Superior General of the Mothers of Mary, expressed appreciation that the facility would be able to continue its mission. We are deeply grateful that we have been able to reach an agreement with Advocate Healthcare Management that will extend Santa Maria 
enabling it to continue our 70-year heritage of providing exceptional levels of compassionate, holistic care, Carroll said. Farrell described the past month as an emotional roller coaster for employees and long-term residents, including 19 who have already relocated to new facilities. Sancta Maria will welcome these residents back, he said, and work with families to help those who want to return. Sancta Maria's new executive administrator will be Tom Gomez, one of Advocates' partners. He said the Advocate team was humbled to learn the firm had been selected to partner with Sancta Maria. We were absolutely honored by the Daughters of Mary and the Board of Directors that they shared the faith and confidence that they've placed in us to restore Sancta Maria to its heyday, Gomez said. Turning around troubled facilities is Advocates' forte, Gomez said citing their experience with the Don Orione home. Two of Advocates' partners, Michael Walsh and William Matsukas, did similar work with troubled Massachusetts facilities with the Merrimack Healthcare Group, he said. Gomez identified three key headwinds that, ad that Advocate would confront to stabilize Santa Maria's finances, regulations, reimbursement, and staffing. State and federal regulations need to be approached as part of a full-time job, Gomez said adding that focusing on compliance both improves patient safety and helps to control expenses. A primary reason cited by Sancta Maria for the original decision to close involved Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements. Gomez said nursing homes across the country experience issues with reimbursements. He plans to look for opportunities to improve reimbursements while also seeking other ways to control costs within the facility. A shorting of nursing staff in the competitive Boston-Cambridge area has also been a challenge for Sancta Maria. To recruit and keep qualified staff who also share in Sancta Maria's mission of providing compassionate care, Advocate will create an environment that employees will not want to leave. This will include evaluating staff benefits and pay rates. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Al Natali conducts his final concert by Joanna K. Zavallis. Belmont resident Al Natali, retired professional trumpet player and conductor of his own classic swing orchestra, celebrated his 95th birthday on August the 18th. And on, and on September 13th, he conducted what he said will be his final public concert with a function room full of fans at the Beach Street Center. Natali grew up in the North End. When he was a young boy, he made a drum out of an oil can and two pieces of wood for drumsticks. I used to walk up and down the street, singing and playing the can as a drum, he said. Natali's interest in becoming a professional musician began at the age of 12, when his teachers put a bugle in his hand, which soon evolved into a trumpet. He grew up to become a professional trumpet player and said he owes a great deal to his former trumpet teacher. Natali's career includes playing for vaudeville shows at the RKO Theater in Boston and traveling with the Bob Chester Orchestra. He also substituted for trumpeters who played for Benny Goodman, the Dorsey Brothers, and Glenn Miller. During his career, he also played backup for many famous artists like Bob Hope and the Three Stooges and Liberace. Between shows with the Three Stooges, he recalls playing poker with them. 
They were very friendly guys. Excellent gentlemen, he said. Natali said one of his greatest experiences was meeting Frank Sinatra. That was my best experience. He said he wrote a letter to him when he learned Sinatra was coming to Boston to perform. And now over to, call, uh, over to Claire, please. Thank you, Bob. Tennis Tournament Will Raise Funds for the Children's Room by Joanna K. Zavellis. Iwa Marama, owner of Belmont Dental Laboratory and former resident, tragically lost her nine-year-old son, Nicholas, after he was struck by a falling tree limb on Shaw Road. The children's room in Arlington helped her and her daughter, Ella, cope with the sudden loss. For the eighth year, Marama and Nick's tennis coach, Keith Warner, are organizing a tennis tournament to benefit the children's room. The 8th Annual Nicholas Marama Tennis Tournament will be Saturday, September 29, 9.30 a.m. at the Winbrook Tennis Courts on Cross Street. Two-time World Marathon Challenge champion, Belmont resident Becca Pizzi, is this year's opening ceremony guest speaker. After Nick passed away, as you can imagine, it was really the most unbearable time of my life, said Marama. To help me grieve and help me go on in some way, that's when Children's Room stepped in and was there for me and for my Ella, she said. The Children's Room, a Victorian home located at 1210 Mass Ave in Arlington, is a program which offers support for children and teens ages 3 to 18 who have experienced the death of a parent or sibling. It also offers support for parents and caregivers. Marama's daughter, Ella, was seven when her brother passed away. The children's room gave her the opportunity to meet with other children who lost siblings. She was able to find comfort and safety by doing projects with them and talking, helping her realize there are others who felt the same as her, and she was not alone, said Marama. I think it was very, very helpful for her, not to mention to me as a mother who wanted to be there for my Ella and deal with my own grief. It's priceless to have that place. There's nothing like it. I will always be grateful to that place. They really saved my life and helped me to be a mother to Ella and try to go on, said Marama. This year's Nicholas Marama Tennis Open will take place Saturday, September 29th, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Winbrook Elementary School Tennis Courts. All proceeds raised from the event will benefit the children's room in Arlington. Now here's Max. Thank you, Claire. Long-Term Plans for the MBTA, an editorial by William Brownsberger. Comments are due on the MBTA's long-term plan on Monday, October 22nd. It is a provocative document and well worth a read. The document is available for comment at mbtafocus40, that's 40, com. As a regional agency depend dependent on state funding for more than half of its budget, the MBTA is constantly subject to political pressure from people like me to improve service. The demands of multiple elected officials serving different constituencies raise difficult choices for the agency about where to focus. In the Focus 40 document, 
The agency is attempting to get above the politics and shape its priority based on big-picture data about needs. The document makes three fundamental observations. First, there are several economic growth areas that are outside the densest part of the rapid transit system. The heart of the city is well served by rapid transit from all directions, but much of the region's job growth is in areas that have more limited service, Kendall Square, Longwood, and the South Boston waterfront. People commute to these areas from many directions, and the lack of an all-direction transit connect connectivity to them results in surface congestion. The proliferation of private shuttle buses in these areas is an indicator of unmet need. Second, some of the densest communities in the inner core do not have access to rapid transit services, such as Roxbury, Dorchester, Everett, Chelsea, Revere, South Boston, and Roslindale. These are all areas with a higher proportion of low-income residents. Commuters in these bus-only communities are at the mercy of increasingly congested traffic conditions. Commuters headed downtown from Brighton, Watertown, and Belmont face many of the same challenges. As a servant of these communities, improving existing services and providing rail alternatives is a central priority for me. The MBTA is responding, as I have written about previously, with meaningful short- and longer-term service improvements. But from a regional perspective, by the numbers, the more dense inner core communities really stand out as underserved. Third, there are several close-in urban gateway cities where housing is more affordable that are not well connected to the downtown, <coughs> Waltham, Lynn, and Salem. The big, we are imagining ideas in the plan that involve new rapid transit tracks are extensions of the green, orange, and blue lines to better serve some of these areas. The plan includes the intriguing concept of extending the blue line south across the red line to Longwood, but not the circumferential service that has long been discussed. As to commuter rail service changes, which might offer another path for transformative improvement, the plan leaves a blank space for the outcome of the rail vision study, which is ongoing. Better rail service on the Worcester and Pittsburgh lines serving Alston, Brighton, and Belmont, and Watertown between them is a concept that I hope will turn out to be feasible. The document recognizes there is a lot of uncertainty about how the region will evolve. It attempts to identify as priorities the projects that won't make sense in almost any scenario. These projects certainly include the huge investments already underway that will improve reliability and capacity on the core MBTA system, the red, green, blue, and orange lines. They also include efforts to improve bus services, modernizing the fleet and working with municipal leaders, who control the roadways, to give buses priority at intersections and in crowded traffic. The MBTA is also looking in the medium term to ask how bus routes can be reconfigured to better meet demand. Over to you, Bob. Thanks, Max. Belmont Food Pantry, Moving to the Ground Floor of Town Hall by Joanna K. Zavallis. The Belmont Board of Selectmen voted to approve using the ground floor of the Town Hall as the new location for the Belmont Food Pantry beginning on February the 4th, 2019. Currently, the pantry is located in the basement of Mount Hope, Church, 51 Lexington Street. It moved there in November of 2016 from its previous space 
at a Belmont High School modular classroom. Town Hall will be the pantry's seventh location since it was founded 26 years ago by director Patty Vahalich. Up until now, every location was owned by the town. Town Administrator Patrice Garvin was, the, was instrumental in helping to find the new space for the pantry. She said the space is currently used for IT training and was formerly an office for the Retirement Board. The Retirement Board now has a new office on Concord Avenue and the IT training room can be relocated to the third floor of the Homo Municipal Building in the conference room located behind the Belmont Gallery of Art. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Dan Schaffman Memorial Run to be held on September 30th. The Foundation for Belmont Education announced that the sixth annual Dan Schaffman Memorial Run will be held from 9.30 a.m. to noon, September 30th at Belmont High School Track 221 Concord Ave. Both the 5K and 2K race options begin at the Belmont High School track and take runners on a scenic route through Belmont. Additional information and registration for the run is available through the FBE website. The Dan Schaffman Memorial Run is held in memory of the late Dan Schaffman, a dedicated advocate of technology and innovation in education. More than 850 runners from towns throughout Massachusetts participated in last year's run, raising more than $25,000 for the Belmont Public Schools. And now, here's Max. Thank you, Claire. Resident raises funds awareness for suicide prevention. Belmont resident Carrie Howder will participate in the Samaritan's 20th Annual 5K Run Walk for Suicide Prevention for a personal reason. Howder lost her father to suicide and has made it her personal mission to break the stigma that surrounds suicide and mental illness so people can feel free to talk about what's on their mind without fear of judgment or criticism. She is captain of Team Chowder, and this will be her eighth year participating in the event. Nearly 2,000 runners, walkers, families, and team members will support Samaritan's mission to prevent suicide on September 29th at Artisani Park, 1255 Soldiers Field Road, Brighton. Registration will begin at 8 a.m. for the 10 a.m. event, which includes a family fun festival for children, an appearance by Wally from the Red Sox, auction, raffles, and massages. Back to you, Bob. Along with my colleagues, Claire and Max, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings around Belmont.